What's good, everybody, and welcome to this Friday episode of the Amatella is podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Friday, August the 25th. Believe it or not, it is four months away to the day of uh, Christmas 2023. Nice to have you with us here on this late August program. Lots to do, lots to talk about. Lots to get into here. Uh, L.A. Angels, uh, who's going to win the American League West? My Baltimore Orioles, of course, a frequent item of conversation here on this program here at the top. And lots of NFL stuff to get to. Uh, Where does Trey Lance stand as uh, Sam Darnold being named the backup quarterback for the 23 San Francisco 49ers squad this year? Jerry Judy slated to miss several weeks, excuse me. With a hamstring injury, Jonathan Taylor, Indianapolis Colts had a fever pitch with the saga between those two parties. Uh, Chris Jones holding out with Kansas City said that, you know, we hold out, I'd be willing to hold out till week eight, and then we'll uh, go from there. Uh, and then, of course, uh, if you care, the Washington Commanders, excuse me, uh, ending the Ravens' uh, historical, meaningless preseason win streak, I get to that. A little bit later on in the program as well. But where we will begin, and, and a little bit of a different uh, change of pace here, uh, with where we will begin, uh, where we will begin here on this uh, weekend program, is with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And ladies and gentlemen, you, those of you that have heard me listen, that have heard me uh, on this show. Uh, for the better part of going on five years coming up in about a couple of weeks' time. Uh, you know that the teams that I talk about and that I heavily criticize a lot are, of course, my favorite team, the Baltimore Orioles, uh, the New York Yankees, who we spent a lot of time talking about, especially the last two, three, four baseball seasons. Uh, you hear me criticize the... Um, the Emmy criticized the Los Angeles Dodgers, in particular Dave Roberts, a lot for a lot of their postseason shortcomings. Who can forget the Rays and Kevin Cash taking uh, Snell out back uh, in the 2020 uh, World Series? Washington Nationals, when they couldn't get out of their own way in postseason play, of course. San Diego Padres, to a lesser extent. But a team that really deserves to be heavily, heavily critiqued on just the ma- the baseball malpractice that goes on within that organization. And that is the L.A. Angels of Anaheim. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the Los Angeles Angels are a dumb-ass baseball team. They are a dumb-ass baseball team. They are a dumb-ass baseball organization. They're a dumb-ass baseball franchise. A franchise that is has a 498 winning percentage in their 63 seasons of existence. They've made the playoffs 10 times. 10 times in 63 seasons. They've won one American League pennant and one World Series championship. That was the fall I was born back in 2002 when they beat the 2002 when they beat the Giants. If you go back and look from 2010 on, do you realize that the LA Angels have only made the playoffs one time? From 2010 on, they've made the playoffs 
one time. They have finished above 500. One, two, three, four times. They finished above 500 in 2000 in 2011, 2012, 2014, and 2017. Not even. I stand corrected. Not even. And 14. No, yeah, I have that right. I apologize. Four times. In 2014, 12, 11, and two, so wait, really only three. 2014, 12, and 11. So it's actually less than I thought. I said since 2010. It's actually less than I thought. It's three times. Three times. Sorry to be so long winded, but three times. They have made the playoffs, like I said, since 2010 only once. Only once. And I was getting swept in ALDS by the Kansas City Royals. This is a team that has Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on the team. A team that has had, for the better part of the last decade, one and until recently two of the top five Hell, top three best players, most talented players in all of baseball. You go in the other sports, at least the ones that I know, basketball, football. You have two out of the top ten, top five best players within a league. Odds are you're a championship contender each and every single year. You, whether you want to, you go to the the super teams with the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, two of the league's top five best players on the same team. They were in the NBA Finals every single year. You go to the NFL, whether it's the Patriots teams with Brady and Gronk. In the, in the playoffs, competing for Super Bowls every single year. Mahomes and Kelsey in the Super Bowl every single year. 2021 LA Rams, Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl. You go to the Legion of Boom Seahawks teams. Richard Sherman, Marshawn Lynch. Back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. During their run, they were in the playoffs every single year. NBA, the LeBron super teams with the Heat. D-Wade and LeBron in the playoffs, in the finals, every single year. Kobe and Shaq in the playoffs to bring it home to L.A. every single year. Yet... And I understand, I understand, it's a different sport. It's a very individualistic team sport because every single player throughout the lineup, one through nine, and the starting pitcher on the mound, and the pitchers that come out of the bullpen, they have to do their job in order for a team to play well. One great player doesn't 
doesn't make a whole team. Look at the New York Yankees for a perfect example with Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole. I understand all that. But when you have players of the elite magnitude of talent in Trout and Otani, and Otani being able to make a contribution not just with his bat at the plate, but also amongst the starting rotation. And yet the Angels, I see 61 and 67 in fourth place, 11 and a half games out. I see 2022, 73 and 89, fin- you know, missing a pl- not losing their division by 33 games. I see 2021, 77 and 85, more mediocrity. 2020, 26, 34, more mediocrity. They lost 90 games in 2019, 72 and 90, fourth place finish. 18, fourth place finish, mediocrity, 80 and 82, back to back seasons, 17 and 18. 16, fourth place finish, 74 and 88. I see 15, slightly better, 85 and 77. I mean, from an Angel team that went from 78 wins to 98 wins from 13 to 14. 20 win difference, plus difference, differential. They damn near won 100 games in 14. And then from 2015 onward, they've gotten worse. From 85 wins to 74, to 80, to 72, slight improvement to 77, down to 73, and now they're sitting at 61 and 67. They were at one point, lest we forget, in 2022, when they had a great start of the season, and then the month of May came, and then they nose crashed and, and, and nose crashed and died into oblivion, lest we forget when they were in a prime, when they were around 500 or thereabouts, slightly above. I believe they had an eight-game or so winning streak going in the early summer, and then they nose crashed and and their season died on them because they couldn't get out of their own way. And he started losing games left and right again. Within a game, game and a half, two games, if not at one point in time, if you were to go back and look, actually holding a wild card spot, and that season blew up on him. Jai, you asked, what what are you getting at all this? Well, ladies and gentlemen, earlier this week, it was announced that their superstar, quote-unquote unicorn, as they call him, the great two-way talent in Shohei Otani, now has suffered a UCL injury. Those of you that don't know, that's a ligament in your elbow that you need in order to throw a baseball. Shut down pitching for the rest of the season with a UCL tear. When the Angels season was lost essentially in early August, when they couldn't get out of their own damn way post-trade deadline at the beginning of the month. This is, again, another example of the Angels being ran, excuse me, being run by stupid, moronic, greedy, money-hungry, short-sighted idiots. I said it in July... I said it at the begin I said it after the trade deadline. I said it in late July leading up to the trade deadline.
hammered this point home time and time and time again. I ad infinitum. I've said this all with everybody else who's who's who knows the history of the Angels and knows Angels baseball that's been paying attention. They should have done themselves a favor. And listen, and I've said this and I've used this example used this example many a times. Okay, as a lifelong diehard Baltimore Orioles fan who loved, loved Manny Machado in my early teenage years and still do love Manny Machado. But when 2018 came and we saw and I saw that the team around him was up to no good, that they might as well rename the team the Baltimore Manny Machados, because that's how bad and how disgusting and putrid the product on the field was that at the beginning of that season. Adam Jones is the walk-off home run in the 11th inning to knock off the Minnesota Twins opening day, and then the season nosedive from there. As much as it hurt to hear, it hurt my ears, it hurt my heart, it hurt my ego, it hurt my pride as a member of the Orioles fan base to hear. I had to face facts, swallow the hard pill, and say, you know what, guys, the truth hurts. It's going. It is going to hurt. It's going to sting like hell. But we have no other choice but to trade Manny Machado. It hurts. It sucks. It's the worst. But he is our prized, most talented, most prized asset that we have on this decrepit, disgusting, worthless team. We have no choice. He's, mods are he's not going to be here. And at this point in 18, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he wasn't going to be here after that season. But we, we got to get rid of him. Got to see the offers that lie unless we were going to wake up one morning and the Angels famous one was going to pull a you know 500 million dollars out of the ass he wasn't going to be an Oriole past the 18 season and Dan Duquette to his credit looked at the situation looked at the team looked at the fan base looked at himself in the mirror and said, like what the Mets did at the deadline with, with Scherzer and Verlander. They looked at their, they looked at, they, as the organization looked at themselves in the mirror and said, we have failed. We're not making the playoffs. This team's up to no good. I don't care what the standings say. I don't care what the analytical numbers say in terms of us not being mathematically eliminated yet. Now, the 2000 Warriors were a historically inept uh, team that year. So, by Mother's Day, they were already out of it. But still, in the case of the Angels, I, I, again, I said at the time, I don't care what the analytical mathematics say. I don't care what the standings say. I don't care what the schedule says. I'm not interested. You look at who you are and the players 1 through 26 that's on that roster within that locker room. 
You look at the rotation one through six. You look at your bullpen. You look at your you look at your lineup. You look at your bench. You look at the fact that Anthony Rendon has played a little has played a little bit over two hundred games since he signed his contract three years ago. Not last year, three years ago. I say all the time, tongue in cheek. I haven't seen Anthony Rendon, you know be an everyday asset to a baseball team since the 2019 uh, world champion Washington Nationals. He had the season of his life, got paid, rightly so, and whether it's because of injury or, what, or whatever, most in more reasons than not because of injury, we haven't seen him. He's played a little shot, a little bit, over 200 games since since he signed a contract in the 19-2020 offseason where he went from Washington to Los An- to Orange County and we and for the most part we haven't seen him on a baseball field in an angel uniform specifically ever since for the most part 200 games in 3 years that's not good you look at the money that that Moreno paid him. You look at the money that they paid Albert Pujols, arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, right-handed hitter of not just my generation of baseball fandom, but of all time. His time as an LA Angel, not so memorable. Outside of the fact that he got you know the 600 home run accomplishments, and and, and I believe he also got his. I believe he also eclipsed 500 home run, 500 home runs, if I'm not mistaken. Outside of the individualistic accomplishments that that Pujols, you know, had during his time with the Angels in an Angel uniform, his tenure as an Angel pales, pales in comparison to his time as a St. Louis Cardinal leading up to that 11 championship when they uh, came back to beat the Rangers. It pales in comparison. They gave Pujols a crap ton of money. It didn't work out. They gave Josh Hamilton a crap ton of money. Didn't pan out. They they gave Mike Trout his first contract. Fine. Mike Trout's second contract? Has his play fallen off? No. But you look at Mike Trout's history, his injury history, and you look at his games played, I can count on one hand how many times in the last five seasons or so where Mike Trout has gone the full 158 to 162 April to September without a scratch. Now, I'm now that's a two-pronged attack uh, a thing with Mike Trout because then again, you know, you don't, you don't obviously you don't you're not the Baltimore Orioles and you're dumb enough to lowball a player of that immense talent. But if you're the Angels, look yourself in the mirror and you say, "We we haven't even sniffed the championship with this guy on our team." So they keep Trout, they bring Otani on board, and they say, "Okay, can we try to win with this one-two punch that we have going?" Otani left-handed, the left-handed two-way, the left-handed hitting two-way player, the pitcher designated hitter from Japan, Trout, the Gold Glove MVP winning center fielder, right-handed hitting center fielder, five-tool player, 
from Millville, New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. Can we piece it together and find a way to win with them? As you know by the records I read off you guys, obviously that's not the case. So you have the horrible you had the horrible season that they had in 2019 when they win when they lost 90 games. You have the 2021 and 22 seasons where they gave the where they gave their fan base a little bit of hope only to kill their hopes and dreams when their anticipation and their excitement reached a fever pitch and they punched their fan base square in the stomach with mediocre, subpar, 70-something win seasons. Again, 2022, they were in the thick of it, clicking on all cylinders, and then they nosedived once the month once the month of May rolled around. This season, they keep their heads above water, they catch a little bit of fire, only to nosedive like the Titanic submarine to down to the bottom of the ocean where they can't get out of their own way and you look at this team time and time again and it's what my guy Mike Ruick formerly of the Wednesday night tailgate he says this all the time it's it's his catchphrase, if you will. He says this all the time. He says, well, you know what? Same shit, different toilet. When you look at the LA Angels of Anaheim, it's same shit, different toilet. Same foolishness, same heartbreak, same piss-poor, substandard, mediocre play, same disappointments, same flaws, same holes, same shortcomings, different year. Different year, Certain situations, different players on the roster, different culprits, but it's the same damn thing over and over and over and over and over again. You look at the you look at pitching, one of the Angels' shortcomings. You look at where the Angels rank in terms of ERA in the American League; they rank twelfth, four point six five. You look at where the Angels rank in terms of runs allowed. They rank fourth in the American League with 651. You look at where the Angels rank in terms of hits allowed. They rank fourth. 1,097 hits in the American League. Home runs allowed. They rank fourth. 160, 163 home runs allowed. Walks. They walk the ballpark. They're third in the American League and walks a lot at 495. And what do we always talk about with the Angels? With their Achilles heel heading into every single season when we come out of spring training in March with them. It's pitching. It's it's their bullpen, and it's can the other guys, because we all know Shohei's head and shoulders the best starter within their rotation. He's their ace. Outside of him, what do they have with starting pitching? Nothing. They go out there, they... They go out there, they sign, and they and I criticize at the time again. They go out there, they trade for Giolito, Renato Lopez. They get C.J. Crone. I mean, what the Randall Gretchik, and it's the same song and dance with the Angels year in and year out. That's why I said 
you put your feelings aside, you put the, the, the touchy, feel-good, tingly feelings that the fan base that you seeing Shohei Otani Angels uniform aside, you, you say the hell with it, you take your, with Belichick, that's why Belichick's the great coach that he is, the multiple-time champion, Hall of Famer, greatest head, greatest NFL head coach of all time, greatest coach in the history of the NFL. That's why he, he's at where he's at. Because he is able and he knows when to put feelings aside and put the betterment of the football team and the future of the football team and the well-being of, of the team, T-E-A-M, team, ahead of any individual. How, they, how the fan base feels about them, the, the the emotions, the, the 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 jersey sales, all of that. He puts the betterment and can and, and, and can we get wins and wins and losses out of out of what we have right now? That's how he at least now recent past with Belichick, different story. But in the Patriot years with Brady, that's how he did business, and that's why he always won. That's why you got on one hand. How many times Bill Belichick missed the playoffs, missed the home, or excuse me, lost the home playoff game, lost the Super Bowl? That's why. Angels, nah, we'll we'll make our we'll make business decisions based on we'll make business decisions through an economic business lens. We'll make baseball decisions through an economic business lens. We'll say, well, Shohei, he drives up our ticket sales. He uh, gets asses in the seats. He, uh, he 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 sells his jerseys. He gets us talked about on MLB Network a ton. He creates buzz on social media. All of this fluff, all of the fluff, all of this fluff, this foolishness, this bull jive, and the substance, the proof in the angel fluff pudding is nothing but consistent L's and shortcomings. I told you guys back in July they should have traded Otani when the getting was good, when he was having arguably his best season as a major league pro. They should have cut, the, they not cut their losses, but they should have bit the bullet, swallowed their pride, and gotten rid of him. Now Thursday comes along, Otani has a torn UCL. Question up in the air whether or not he'll have to have Tommy John surgery. Shohei Otani is no Julio Rodriguez or Juan Soto when it comes to having youth and age on his side. He's ticking around the 30 mark if he isn't there already. two-way player that wears on your body from February hell yeah from February including the, including the, uh him going balls to the wall for team Japan and the WBC he's 29 years old Shohei 29 he'll be 30 next season middle of next season two-way player when has been going balls to the wall since early March with the WBC. Best season of his life. Angels, again, going nowhere. Do they decide to trade him? Do they decide to to get 
Now, I understand wouldn't be as much as if you were to trade him last season or the season before because after this, because once October 1st is up or or whenever, if he gets traded to a playoff contender, whenever their season ends, that's it. He's a free agent. There's no team control outside of the parameters of the 2023 season. Like the aforementioned Manny Machado with my Baltimore Orioles. But you had an opportunity to put to get the wheels slowly but surely turning in a positive direction to provide hope, to provide promise for the LA Angels franchise going forward. Will it suck that Otani, more likely than not, won't be a part of it? Absolutely. But you got to do what you got to do. But the kicker is, and this is where the Angels have the advantage with Shohei that the Orioles didn't have with Manny Machado is that the Angels have the owner who's willing to spend the money to keep Shohei around, like he has with the aforementioned Mike Trout. Unlike the Orioles with the aforementioned John Angelos, once Manny was gone, he was gone. Unless he came back in the twilight of his career for a discount, he wasn't going to be an Oriole again after that 18 season. The thing with Shohei is that The Angels, at least to my knowledge, to my understanding, have the funds to at least compete with other teams in contract negotiations and contract talks to bring Shohei back in this this upcoming winter during the offseason. So best case scenario, you do what the Yankees did with Chapman in 2016. You see your teams, you have an asset on your team, that a lot of teams would love to have a two-way player that's a, that, that, that strikes out a ton of batters, relatively low ERA, and on the flip side, he hits for average, he hits for power, and he drives in runs. Left-handed bat. Chapman, star-studded left-handed closer out the bullpen that throws over 100 miles an hour. Yankees realized the 16 team, which is a lot better than this 23 Angels team, they were going nowhere, weren't going to make the playoffs, but they said, hey, we're the New York Yankees. We, we, we have the funds. We have the, we have the money available for us to bring Chapman back in the offseason if we want. If he wants it and we want it, we can bring him back in the offseason. But in the here and now, we're not going anywhere. He's one of our, if not our biggest asset. Why not trade him away get some young talent back for him that we can have under team control that a desperate team that's looking to win a championship who's who's missing in a role as Chapman, who's missing in this case to show Otani. Let's get the young talent from the desperate championship thirsty team and then chat yeah, he'll be off our squad, you know, in the back end of the season. Who would watch us? Arguably, you know, this, that, and the third, but you know what? We bring him back in the offseason. Yankees did exactly that with Chapman. They traded him away, got prospects back for him. They signed Chapman back the next the, the following offseason. Not only was Chapman back the, in a Yankee uniform the following year, but the Yankees got the Game 7 of the ALCS. Now, granted, that, was, that Yankee team in 16 is better than the 18 Orioles and the 23 LA Angels. But what's my point? My point is seeing the forest through the trees and seeing and utilizing an asset 
that one has on a team that's going nowhere. The Yankees, who we criticize a bunch on this show for being stupid. Brian Cashman, especially with his roster moves. That, that's one of his better, better decisions within the last five-plus years. The Orioles, similar circumstance with Manny Machado. No, is Manny Machado back in the Royal uniform? No. But who is one of the pitchers that they got from the Dodgers in the Manny Machado trade? Dean Kramer, who's among the league leaderboard, American League leaderboard in wins, who has been a fairly solid pitcher among the Orioles' rotation form this season. Here it is, Manny Machado's not even on the Dodgers no more. It's been a, it's been a quite a few seasons since Manny Machado, you know, has been in an LA Dodger uniform. Dean Kramer, the player who the Orioles got in return for him, still making a contribution at the major league level on the major league roster. And yet, because the Angels are so prideful, so stupid, so arrogant, so materialistic, so short sighted, they say, you know what? Otani is an angel. To hell with the with the future of our team. He sells us tickets. They kept Otani on the team. Unfortunately, he screwed up his elbow. Now the season really sucks. And then you say, well, we want to have people come to the ballpark in September to watch Otani. Well, you kept Otani, and they're not going to be shown to the ballpark, if at all, because Otani won't be on the field at least to pitch for people to see. And I read reports the other day, well, he's going to still hit even with the UCL tear. All right. If it worked for Bryce Harper, I guess he can do it. But still, part of Shohei's why the baseball world and the sports world enamors him and looks at him in such awe is that he's able to do the two things. Not to say that, you know, that he's not, uh, if he were, you know, a hitter only, that wouldn't be a great hitter and that we wouldn't marvel at him for it. I'm not saying that. But to a certain extent, and even you Shohei groupies have to agree with that, if Shohei either becomes a one-way pitcher or a one-way position player, it it takes all, it ta- that would take a huge bite out of the aura that he has in terms of the great talented player that he is within this league. Not to over-minimize his ability, but he becomes a one-way player. He becomes just another excellent starting pitcher that can throw 100 miles an hour that strikes out a crap ton of batters. He becomes a one-way hitter. He becomes just another left-handed hitter that teams would love to have that's a 5 tool player that can hit for average and hit for power. They should trade it Otani. If pleasable, if plausible, trade it for Trout. Blown it up and start it from scratch. Instead, they're stuck with Trout, who went back on the IL the same day Otani's injury was, and him being shut down as a pitcher for the rest of the season was announced. Instead, they're stuck with Trout, wasting in his career away, and Otani. They're stuck in purgatory with him. 
even if they're fortunate enough to re-sign him in the offseason, does that automatically qualify the Angels to be a World Series contender now? Because they pull, because they retain Otani? How does that make the Angels any better heading into 2024 than it would be, you know, the other way? Than him leaving. The only the only silver lining is if you're Artie Moreno or if you work in marketing, work in sales with Angels, you'll say, "Well, his injury, him being injured, hurts himself, hurts himself on the marketplace. They might, we might have a better opportunity post UCL injury and in re-signing him than had he not gotten injured at all and he goes out on the open market, healthy as a fresh, healthy and fresh as a horse, and we lose out." To the, to the Dodgers and to the Seattle Mariners. But nobody wins in this scenario. Shohei doesn't win because his market value gets killed and his free, agents, his free agency market value gets killed. And then the Angels don't win because they, have an, because they had an opportunity to trade Shohei while he was healthy, while they could have had gotten for free agent to be, gotten arguably one of the best hauls back for a player in Major League Baseball training deadline history, and they chose to sit on their hands and sit tight. This team always, 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 when the pressure rises and when it comes time for them to deliver, when the sports world's looking at the LA Angels saying, it's showtime, man, what are you going to do? Spotlight's on you. What are you going to do? Whether it's complete, competing for a playoff spot or being smart, savvy baseball people when it comes to dealing with Shohei and figuring out what to do with, as his future is at a, with the organizations at a crossroads, every single time, it never fails. This team always, always, always folds when the pressure rises. Never, it never fails. It never fails. So if the Angels either lose Shohei, they lose him for nothing, and if they're fortunate enough to bring him back, you won't have him all of next season. He, he, you won't see Shohei Otani after, if he, even if he's fortunate enough to hit through this injury, you won't see Shohei on a fit on a baseball field again, competing in the game until 2025. So, I asked Artie Moreno, I asked the Angels GM, I asked the Angels fans to the likes of Mike and the OC, our buddy, who was who was thumping and stepping for the Angels to, to retain Shohei. Is this the result that you wanted out of all of this? Was it, was, or I should ask it better this way, was it worth it? Was it worth it? Because not only do you not see Shohei pitch the rest of the season after October 1, even if he is an angel for the rest of his career, you lose a year of his career. Not that you're going to win anything with him on the field, but still. And the, in the end, was it worth it? The answer is no. Staying with the AL West. Uh, it was a it'll be very interesting to see uh, who and what what team 
and how ends up securing what's been just a wacky, wacky, topsy-turvy uh, division, man. I tell you, the the American League West. Now, the don't get it twisted. The American League East is still the best division in baseball. Uh, don't don't get it twisted. But in terms of the most competitive race for division championship, look no further. Late, unless the uh, NL uh, Central turns you on between the Brewers, the Cubs, and uh, f- and four games back the Cincinnati Reds. But if you want a division race, man, look no further than the American League West. The Rangers, the Mariners, the Ast- and the Astros, all within a game of each other for first place in the West. The Mariners and the Astros are currently uh, are currently a game back of the uh, of the Texas Rangers. The Astros are uh, are a hundredth of a percentage point. In uh, third place behind the uh, behind the Seattle Mariners, who by that same hundredth of a percentage point are sitting in second at a seventy-one and fifty-six record. The Astros are seventy-two and fifty-seven. Uh, the Rangers right now they are uh, you know they are going a little bit through uh, some uh, difficult uh, patch right now here in in these uh, mid to late portion of the month of August. They've lost 8 out of the last 10, currently running a 7-game losing streak uh, as they begin a series this weekend in Minnesota against the Tees. Meanwhile, the Mariners, they've won 8 out of the last 10 games. Uh, they've, uh, they've been flying high. Essentially, they were flying high heading into the Orioles series. The Orioles kind of uh, slowed them down a little bit that Friday and that Friday and Saturday, and then they, or excuse me, that Saturday and Sunday, and then they went right back to kicking ass and taking names with the uh, with an elite, uh, with an elite of uh, hot streak and hot stretch of games with uh, Seattle, who is starting to peak, or at least starting to uh, to um, starting to get their uh, sea legs under them for an October run at just uh, with just within the nick of time. Meanwhile, the Astros, who played damn good baseball coming out of the All-Star break at the beginning of this month, came to Baltimore and took two out of three for my Orioles and then have kind of sputtered a little bit uh, from mid from the middle of uh, this month up until right now. They've lost six out of the last ten. Out of the last ten. They are four and six in the last uh, ten games. Uh, they just uh, finished losing a uh, losing a series to the uh, to the Boston Red Sox earlier this week. They lost the uh, game. They lost the game in extra innings uh, the other night uh, in in extra innings. They had the bases they had the bases loaded with one out uh, in the uh, tenth inning against Boston. This is back on uh, this is back on uh, Wednesday night. They had bases loaded opportunity. Uh, base load opportunity bottom of the tenth inning, score one run in the tenth to bring themselves within two, and wasted a bases loaded opportunity in the bottom of the tenth inning. Uh, they had uh, the Red Sox, that is uh, Adam Duvall, with a uh, three-run home run in the top of the tenth inning off of uh, Kendall Graveman, uh, broke the four-four uh, tie at the top of the tenth to put the Red Sox out in front seven to four. And then they turn around on a Thursday afternoon, and the Red Sox uh, picked up right from where they left off with that electrifying tenth inning, and they beat the piss out of the Astros seventeen to one on twenty four hits, uh, with a six run third inning, four run second, four run ninth, and a two run 
uh, two-run eighth inning, just absolutely beating the, beating the crap out of the Astros on Thursday night. So the Astros look in their wounds as they uh, begin the weekend series on the road against the uh, Detroit Tigers uh, up in the up in the D, coming up for three, uh, rhyming accidentally this weekend against the uh, American League. Excuse me, against the uh, fourth place, or excuse me, the third place team in the American League uh, Central at 58 and uh, 69. So, as a matter of fact, let's go ahead and break down uh, the schedules with these teams right quick. Uh, you look at where the Rangers stand uh, with the schedule here to close out the rest of the month. They lost five. They lost seven to five last night against Minnesota up in Minneapolis. They have these three this weekend against Minnesota, and then they go to New York to play the Mets for three, and then they come back home to play Minnesota again to play the aforementioned Minnesota. Then they host Houston, which is the final time Houston comes into uh, Dallas all year, all for the rest of the season. A uh, final time trip in for Houston uh, for three uh, during the first three days starting Labor Day on uh, September the 4th through uh, Wednesday, September the 6th. Then an off day, then against Oakland. Then they fly north to play the uh, Blue Jays for four. Then Cleveland, uh, then Cleveland the weekend of the 15th through the 17th. Then home against the Red Sox, Seattle, the Angels, and then see. That's not that, that that is uh that's a challenging schedule. Not I'm the own the lone layup right there, and you saw the aforementioned Red Sox, they are not to be taken lightly by anybody. The only layup, and I guess you could kind of count the Angels as a as a semi layup as well. But outside of playing the Oakland A's uh and the and the two mid teams being uh being uh uh being the teams from the, the Guardians and the Twins and the Central and the Angels. That's not a easy that's not a uh, easy, you know, and the well the Mets. So not a easy schedule, not an impossible schedule. You have two teams atop the Central, uh the uh, and then you have the Angels and the garbage and the A's. But the hard opponents are the Mariners twice the back end of September at home and in Seattle. Uh, and then you have the uh, series in early September at home against the Houston Astros. So, and then they, you know, they lost the series. They got swept by Milwaukee and and uh, swept by Arizona and uh, and lost the first game of a four-game weekend series to, to, uh, to Minnesota. So, uh, or lost the first game of the series to Minnesota, got swept by a quick two-game series by the D-backs, and uh, lost a, uh, and lost, excuse me, lost and got swept by the Milwaukee Brewers. So, in order for the Rangers to make some headway and to distance themselves from uh, Seattle and from Houston within the division, when Texas has had uh, a uh, stronghold on the division lead all throughout this entire season, they got to start stacking some wins. They go up against Sonny Gray uh, tonight uh, up in uh, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. Scherzer gets the ball for Texas coming up uh, tomorrow. Coming up tomorrow night for him. Meanwhile, Seattle. Let's look at them and where they stand. Uh, they a franchise that has not won a division title since two thousand and one, and they currently. Let's look and see how Seattle's doing in terms of the wild card. 
Seattle currently holds the second wild card spot, tied with the second wild card spot. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, with the percentage point difference between them and, and them in Houston, they hold the second wild card spot in the fifth seed. Uh, they are six games behind uh, Tampa for the top wild card spot in the American League. In terms of Seattle's schedule, let's take a look at them and where they stand the rest of this month into the month of September. They host the aforementioned uh, Kansas City Royals for three this week and coming, off an off, coming up off of an off day uh, today. They had their win streak snapped on a fluky play uh, against the White Sox Wednesday afternoon down on the south side. But they have two. They got back-to-back. Actually, they got a stretch of layups. Uh, up in, They have a stretch of layups. Uh, and then, of course, a feisty Reds team before they got to lock in to play the Rays in Tampa. Uh, the weekend of September the 7th through the 10th. They have the Royals, three against the Royals, three against the A's, three uh, in New York against the Mets, then the feisty uh, Reds in Cincinnati, and then Tampa, then the Angels, then they got to strap up against the Dodgers, then a break with the A's, and then look at this. Look, Listen to how their month of September closes out. On the road against the Rangers, then hosting the Astros and the Rangers to close out the season. So their last layup is three on the road in Oakland against the A's. And even before that, they have a weekend series against the Dodgers. And then the weekend before that, they have a four-game road series against the Rays with an Angels with a home series against the Angels jammed in between from September the 11th to the 13th. The they have a they have a cupcake schedule to close out the month of August, but outside of the Mets, the Reds, the Angels, and the A's, they have gauntlets against the Rays, the Rangers twice, and the Astros. They don't have their schedule down the stretch, even with the Royals and the and the A's in their in their in their building this weekend. The manner schedule down the stretch is tougher. Then uh, it's tougher than Texas close out the, to close out the season. You look at Houston, where they stand, they have the weekend series against the weekend series against Detroit. Then they head uh, north to play the Red Sox to, to begin the work week next week. Then they come back home for a quick three game weekend, quick uh, three week three game weekend series against the Yankees. And then on the road to play Texas for the final time, then home to play the Padres, then home to play the A's, then at Kansas City, uh, then they host my then they host my Orioles middle of September, host and then they host so they play Kansas City back to back weekends, then they go to Seattle, and then they go on the road to play to play the Diamondbacks. I, I don't know in terms of calculating it based on combined uh, winning percentage, but outside of the Rangers, the Orioles, and the Mariners, I'd much rather have the Astros schedule. They play they play the Red Sox, they play the Padres, which are not play, who are not playoff teams. But they're feisty teams that you know that the Astros with if they're not on their game they can easily get sw- lose a series and or get swept by. But I'd much rather have the Astros 
uh, slate going down the stretch of the season than I certainly would over Seattle and over Texas. Definitely. Because, I mean, their toughest opponent in terms of winning percentage is the Orioles, and they have them at home after they took two out of three from them in Baltimore. Granted, their two pivotal division, inner, or excuse me, inner, yeah, inner division uh, series are on the road in tech or at Dallas and in Seattle. So they're two, they only have two cracks at the uh, pivotal AL West opponents compared to the other two teams. And they're, and they have the disadvantage being on the road for both of them. But when you ha- play the Royals twice in a month, and you have the A's coming, and then you have the A's coming coming to you, and then you kick off the month of September with the Yankees in your building, who you always kill. I would much rather, much rather, play the have the Astros scheduled coming down the stretch of the season than Seattle, and and compared to uh, the Rangers. Now they have the now the benefit that the Manners and the Rangers don't that the Rangers have is that they don't play the Orioles in the month of September. The Orioles, the Ori, the Astros have the Orioles, and the Orioles more likely than not you would anticipate, you would imagine, need those games to either make up ground on Tampa, God forbid, or to build ground uh, on Tampa to to keep pace and keep distance with them atop the AL East. So although they have that bad opponent for three. The out of the three teams in that division, the Astros have played the Orioles the best. I understand the Texas took a series here back in late May, but the Orioles took a series down in uh, down in uh, Dallas back in back in early April. Manners certainly can't say that because they won the season series uh, four to two, as we discussed last week. So, but I, I would much rather have the Astros schedule. And them currently sitting right now is 72 and 57. They got Valdez pitching tonight. Uh, I think right now, I think the Astros somehow, some way, find a way to to win the AL West title for yet another season in a row. They got they play the hardest opponent is the Orioles, who they play, who they who out of the two teams who they're chasing. Have played better, have who have played the best out of that entire division. The Astros have played the Orioles the best, and they're the lone uh, scary monster uh, outside of uh, outside of their two division opponents in the aforementioned Texas and Seattle, who they play on the road. But they got some, but they have teams who they can beat and have beaten the past coming up, coming into their building in September. I like the Astros' chances to be quite. Uh, candid with you. Now, in terms of the my aforementioned Baltimore Orioles, um, I think where it stands with them in terms of recapping their series with the Blue Jays, listen, the Orioles have beat the piss out of the Blue Jays all season long. And when we go back and, you know, prior to the playoffs or at season's end, whenever it comes, you know, we will sit back and talk about how the, one of the reasons why the Baltimore Orioles are where they are in the standings uh, amongst the American League East and within the American League and why they're one win away from winning and eclipsing the 80-game mark and can eclipse the 81-82 uh, 
500 or better uh, season benchmark before September 1 is because of how well they've played against the American League East, in particular how well they've played against the, against the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, the Orioles this season, they have now won or split 11 straight series against American League East opponents. If you go back and look, and I came across it on Twitter, and I'll uh, read it to, and I'll read it here uh, for you, right here, right now. The Orioles' record against the Tamp against the Toronto Blue Jays this season, I believe their record, and I can matter of fact, I'll just I can go back and uh, calculate it myself. They they they. Uh, they took two of three. They took two of three. Both occasions, Toronto came to Bal- Toronto came to Baltimore. So you do the math. That's four, that's a four and two record. The the sweep that they had in May in Toronto. You take the four. You take the you take the four and the three. That's what. That's seven and two. You take the series that they took from in early August. They went two and one. They won the series. The Orioles went. They played 13 games against Toronto. They won four at home, plus the sweep, that's seven. The the early August series win, that's nine. The Orioles went nine and three against the Blue Jays this season. They went nine and three against the Toronto Blue Jays this year. Think about that. The Toronto Blue Jays, a team that put the, they went, excuse me, do I have that read wrong? They played 13 games, so they went 10 and 3. I apologize. They went 10 and 3. 10 and 3, my math was off. They went 10 and 3 against the Blue Jays this season. They outscored Toronto 75 to 40 offensively. They put together 139 hits. Compared to the Blue Jays, 104, they out homered the Blue Jays 18 to 13, and they and both teams both drew equal amount of walks in 36. They absolutely kicked the crap out of the Blue Jays this season, which I find is a major improvement and is a 180 compared to how poorly the Orioles played against played against Toronto last year specifically what sticks out in my craw and still bothers me is when the Orioles had a prime opportunity to get to control their own destiny throughout the back end of the regular season particularly in the month of September they beat the piss out of the A's Labor, uh, Labor Day weekend and then the week of Labor Day came that Monday at a big time doubleheader against the Blue Jays and in that series they fell flat on their face lost the series and their season spiraled out of control and they fell deeper and deeper into the uh, into the pit trying to climb themselves out of to uh, to put themselves in a position to lock up a wild card spot and obviously it never happened they lost the series that they had to have for tiebreaker purposes and for pure seating within the standings in the wild card alone, and they fell flat on their face in that in that ballpark against the Toronto Blue Jays. Four game series. They had doubleheader uh, that Monday, that Labor Day, 
uh, with two games that Monday and then Tuesday and Wednesday, and they lost they lost a doubleheader got and got their teeth kicked in in the second game, and they lost and they lost the series. And essentially, the team was they finished with a plus five hundred record. They won eighty three games, finished the season strong. But in terms of the, them being a legitimate playoff contender, they were never the same after that series. And they took it personally, and they and they've gone out there and they've beaten the piss out of the Blue Jays ever since. And two out of the three losses they suffered to Toronto this year, as ironic as it sounds, came at home. They went up to Toronto and beat the hell out of them. Swept them in mid-May. Took two or three from them back in uh, back in uh, back in early August, and they were big time. And they were big time wins at that. Uh, with the they were they had a. They were big time wins at that. They had the blowout win to win game one, and then they had the close game. Uh, and then they had the close game in Jack Flaherty's Oriole debut in game number three on that. I believe it was that Thursday, that uh, Wednesday afternoon, if I'm not mistaken, back on August the third. So a complete turnaround and kicking the crap out of out of uh, Toronto and they did exactly that over this week. Ryan Mountcastle didn't beat the didn't uh, execute and exercise his dominance over the Blue Jays in this series compared to many earlier this season. Uh but he still had a productive series. Anthony Santander who had missed some time recently with a bad back came out guns blazing the other night had a two homer night on Wednesday night and then hit a home run to tie a two run home run to tie the game at two uh, in the ball game last night Cedric Mullins it's a rocket two run home run to give the Orioles the lead uh, about an inning or so uh, about an inning or so later and of course the Orioles find a way to get it done and uh, win the game on uh, Thursday night last night by the final score of uh, five to three, and then they were nip in uh, in a game that was, uh, and then in a game that was nip and tuck on a Wednesday night. Uh, the Orioles were, which offense was really, really struggling and reeling, and really hadn't, you know, outside of the series against Oakland, really hadn't performed on a consistent basis since the uh, since the uh, their sweep over the Mets. Back in the beginning of the month, they go out there and they uh, put together a uh, supreme uh, eighth inning to break the game wide open in, in, a ga- in the game in, in which the Orioles uh, dominated to, uh, to go. I've been, I done lost count how many consecutive series has been since they've been swept. But uh, the Orioles find a way to win after bounce back from their heartbreaking extra innings uh, loss in game one, they find a way to win Wednesday night and Thursday, and they have a uh, nice layup. Again, same thing with the A's last weekend. Anything less than a sweep uh, going up against the Colorado Rockies is a failure. I mean, they, at bare minimum, I, bare minimum, you know, they got, uh, they got three this weekend with the, uh, three this weekend with the Rockies, and then three this week Against uh, against the White Sox, anything less than five and one is unacceptable. Four and two, I don't want. I'll I'll live with it. I won't be happy about it, but I'll live with it. Five and one, six and zero. Oh, good morning, good afternoon, good night. 
this weekend and in the beginning of next week against the White Sox is what I expect. Same thing with the A's. You're a great team. Great teams beat the piss out of the bad teams. You, you do what you you did what you did uh, to the A's, to the Rockies in your home ballpark this weekend, which is supposed to be packed. Felix Bautista bobblehead night uh, tomorrow night. I will not be there. I will be in Landover, Maryland for Bengals commies at uh, my first trip into FedEx Field coming up Saturday night. So I will be there. I won't be there in person uh, Saturday night for uh, Orioles and Rockies. But you got three this weekend against the Rockies. Then you got the uh, and then you have the aforementioned White Sox coming up. Do damage and take advantage. Uh, because you got the uh, Yankees, because you got Yankees and Rays coming up this weekend, and the chances of the Yankees getting off their ass and winning a series over uh, Tampa is uh, slim picking. So you do your own labor and you do your own uh, good fortune, and that's uh, not leaving any games on the table against the hapless Colorado Rockies, who invented. W- new ways to lose baseball games and their series earlier this week against the aforementioned uh, Tampa Bay Rays. As we switch gears to the National Football League, you also have um, excuse me, there was items in the news with um, with the San Francisco 49ers and who their, uh, and who their uh, starting quarterback in their QB depth chart uh, is, is shaping up like as we are two weeks away this upcoming Sunday from their uh, first game of the season. They named Sam Darnold, the old USC uh, reject. They named him the backup to Brock Purdy, who looks like he's going to be a go for a week one for San Francisco this season. They named uh, Darnold the QB2, which means we stand in limbo in terms of where Trey Lance is. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. And for whatever the reason, it was not talked about and it's not heavily, heavily, heavily criticized the way uh, the way the Jordan Love uh, draft pick is, and rightfully so, with, uh, with Green Bay, is that Shanahan and Lynch pulled that pick out of their ass when it came to drafting Trey Lance. You want a player that lit, I believe I saw that he has a little a little bit over two hundred and two a little over two hundred something uh, snaps total snaps uh, you know within his in his total football career dating back from high school to college uh, at North Dakota State even up to now in the NFL preseason and 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 week one against Chicago last year. I mean, I, I just, I, I do not understand it, man. I didn't understand it when he got drafted at the time, you know, in this, in the, while Jimmy G, you know, while he, while he, the clock ticking, ticking further and further with him being on borrowed time with San Francisco. I didn't understand it. Uh, the debate between him or, you know, when, and then he gets hurt. I, I, then earlier this offseason, is it Brock Purdy or Trey? I don't understand. And it's no shade, no intentional disrespect towards Trey Lance, but I just, I can't, I could never, ever, ever for the life of me wrap my head around the obsession over what Trey Lance brings to the table in the quarterback room, especially, especially 
for a team that we've said ad infinitum 2 through 53 is the head and shoulders cream of the crop Super Bowl contender amongst the NFC West and in particular the NFC. I just, I've, I've never, if the San Francisco 49ers were rebuilding, that'd be one thing. If they were in kind of like a murky situation where they weren't bad, but they weren't a Super Bowl contender, different conversation as well. But for a team that, in a, granted, in a weak NFC, and uh, last year played in, in in a somewhat weak division. I could not under. I still can't. I didn't understand it for years. Why the obsessed with Trey Lance? I mean, he had slim sample size in terms of his experience playing the position, and is he really like all that he's made out to be? Quite frankly, he's up there, man, with one of the most overrated, overhyped quarterback prospects. Uh, you know, within the within the last within the last five years, certainly within the last decade. I mean, you guys go back and look at the absolute ungodly haul that San Francisco 49ers traded in order to move up in the draft, in order to draft them. And I think, in my humble, honest opinion, that Kyle Shanahan got arrogant, got cocky, which he has a tendency to do, which is kind of like his, which is kind of his personality. He, you know, he thinks he's, I won't say greater or better than he is, but he thinks that he's God's gift to, he's God's gift to, to the sport of football, that, that he invented the sport and he, and he knows the end all and be all in terms of, in terms of what it takes to put together a championship level offense when he hasn't won a championship yet. And I think he saw Trey Lance as a project and thought that he was essentially going to be the next you know, quote-unquote Patrick Mahomes, which is something that not just him, but a lot of these teams have fallen into that next Patrick Mahomes track uh, trap, excuse me, a la look at the Jets and see Zach Wilson. And they and they draft these guys with the first, with a top 10, top 5 pick in the draft, and then they see them play, they see them perform, they see them study, they see them with the you know, working and, uh, and operating within the team facility, and it's like... This guy is not very good. And rather than the organization raising their hand and saying, you know what, we overrated this guy. We bit off more than we could chew. Our eyes got bigger than, than our stomach. We overrated, overhyped, and incite, and over-psychoanalyzed this guy. They instead, you know, at least the mumblings that you hear through, you know, through the media, that they shift the blame more so towards the player rather than the player being what every honest critic, honest observer knew that they were. It was just the team's fault for 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 reaching and drafting them too high. Thus creating the overrated, you know, overhyped, over discussed hysteria. A la Wilson with the New York Jets coming out of BYU. So and you and we don't hear you hear more so with Jordan Love because of Aaron Rodgers and the drama and him being bent out of shape and throwing fits and being upset with Gunakis and the Packers regime and this, that, and the third and passing on T. Higgins when they needed a wide receiver and when they needed an elite wide receiver in the worst way. And so I get it. I understand, you know, coming off an AFC championship uh, coming off of a uh, AFC championship game I, I get that. I understand all that. But in the in the meantime, and they've done a fabulous job. Trent Williams, uh, George Kittle, Raheem Mostert, 
you know, in the running backs they've had in the past, trained for Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. Two through 53, they've done a fantastic job building the roster. Fred Warner, uh, Nick Bosa, give, give them tremendous credit. Tremendous credit. They've had they've had solid defensive coordinators in Salah and uh, D'Amico Ryan who have gone on to become head coaches elsewhere. Give them credit. Fantastic job with all of that. They've seen that they've built a, a winning culture. Everybody buys in. They're in the you know if they're when they're not injured to hell, they're in the playoffs every single year, and they and they're and they sure as hell are not uh, automatic uh, first round exits. And they make it to the playoffs. They make a deep run, Super Bowl, NFC Championship game, whether it's as a wild card team or division champions, one seed, two seed, fifth seed, doesn't matter. Give them tremendous credit. But the trade, but when it comes to the hand to the drafting and then the handling of Trey Lance, there needs to be there needs to be a couple of mea culpas. I tell you that, and and a lot of heavy criticism. Because as great as that roster is, again, 2 through 53 in that weak division of the NFC West and in a weak conference, bottom line is if you don't have a quarterback, you're not getting to, let alone winning the Super Bowl. I don't care how great Bosa is. I don't care. I don't Kittle, CMC, Debo, not interested. If you, if you can't master and get right the game's most important, most valuable position on the roster, you're you're not you can go far. You can get to the, you can win your division, you can make the playoffs, you can go to the NFC Championship game, but unless you have that unless you have that position 100% mastered, concrete, not an issue, not a problem, you're not, you're not going to let alone winning many Super Bowls. Prime example, I understand he got injured, but I'm, they didn't win the you know they didn't win the twenty two championship game by pure happenstance back in back in January, or the Super Bowl when they went up when Jimmy G was going up against Patrick Mahomes. So let's be let's be fair. Let's let's be real about this. You can get to the Super Bowl. But even if you're fortunate enough to get to the Super Bowl, you know, ham and egg in your way with the quarterback position, more likely than not, the quarterback you're seeing on the other side is either going to be Burrow, is either going to be Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and to be determined but highly anticipated, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, uh, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence. And I don't care how great your roster is, sometimes if you have the better quarterback, the better quarterback, especially if, he, if he's on the great and elite level like Burrow Mahomes, quarterbacks number one, number two in the league are right now, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate equalizer. When, when, you as the other time, when you as the other side are lacking in the quarterback department and, and their guy or, and their QB1 is one of those two guys, you're not going to win many championships. Not not in 2023 NFL football. I don't care how great your defense is. I don't care if deep. I don't care if your defense has uh, has uh, Charles Haley has primetime Deion Sanders and Ronnie Lott sitting there chilling 
in the secondary at safety. I could care. Doesn't matter. Got to have the quarterback. And the 49ers organization, the GM and the head coach, should be getting more flack and catching more heat for drafting Lance and how they've handled him to begin with. Because now what I can call me crazy, call me saying coming up with the conspiracy theory, this, that, and the third, but to me it looks like drafting Lance essentially was nothing more than a conspiratorial pawn to get Jimmy G out of town. And now they finally realize that they have their quarterback, you know, Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy. What's the point of having Lance? He's injured he's injured to hell, inexperienced. Why do why do we have him anymore at this point? That's me. Call me crazy, call me a, call me conspiratorial, but that thought does loom in my head. Did they draft Lance as high as they did to put some heat on Jimmy G and it kinda pushed Jimmy G out the door because they were so down on him? and that they really deep down didn't have plans on having Lance be the quarterback to begin with, especially when you saw the numerous amounts of second, third, and fourth chance opportunities that Jimmy G uh, got uh, this past season. Just a thought. Just a thought. Uh, Jerry Judy, he will miss several weeks with a hamstring injury, uh, hurt his hamstring, had to get caught off the field in practice earlier this week. Uh, which is a tremendous blow to the Denver Broncos offense. Uh, matter of fact, let's pull up the uh, Broncos schedule right quick and see how their season is, how their season uh, looms because got and their offense was god awful. Uh, you know, with Judy on the field, uh, so him him being lost to begin the season is certainly not what you want if you're a Denver Broncos fan, especially waiting to see the brand spanking new offense with Sean Payton. They open up the season week one against the Raiders. Then week two against Denver, not a hard schedule, but, I mean, Washington and the Bears are feisty teams, and those are certainly two losable games. Raiders, Washington, Miami, Chicago, the Jets, Kansas, wow, weeks one through six are, they're not impossible, but, I mean, Denver could easily start the season Two and four, if they if if they're not on their p's and q's, and then uh, and then uh, the Packers in between weeks and then week seven, and then Kansas City week eight, and then they're by, and then coming out of the bye, they got Buffalo and the Vikings, then Cleveland, then Houston week thirteen, then the Chargers, the Lions break with the Patriots in the chart. So not an impossible schedule, but they got uh, obviously the Chiefs twice within the division. Uh, Chargers twice within the division. Then they have the Jets, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the and with the Commanders and the Bears not to be taken lightly either. So, not saying that they will, but there's a uh, there is a possibility for the Broncos to be right back where they started last season with a with a horrid offense starting out slow. And you look up, you know, mid October they're two and four. So. Uh, th- that is certainly a rough, rough blow for the Denver Broncos organization. Uh, John- with Jonathan Taylor uh, ending out with Colts saga, I haven't touched on it, but I will right here, right now. 
Uh, Taylor wants a new contract. Uh, the Colts and Ursay basically telling Taylor to go to hell. We'll spend money for Orcas, but not on our franchise running back. So they remain at a standstill. Uh, and the problem that teams are having while uh, Taylor is on the trading block is that, A, the teams that are inquiring for Jonathan Taylor, or excuse me, the Colts, see, Ursay wants to have his cake and eat it too. He says, well, you know what, I, my quarterback, my running back is not enough for me to give him a new contract, and I understand the reason why with the running back position, as we've discussed in the past, but our, my running back is not enough for me to give him a big-time contract, but we essentially want teams to fork out, you know, their draft capital and a couple of decent, you know, starting players, you know, in order to get them. You can't have it both ways, Jim, because not only do they have to meet your demands – for acquiring the contract rights for Jonathan Taylor. But on the flip side, they also have to make sure they have enough money and free cap space to give Jonathan Taylor what he wants, which is the whole reason why he wants out of Indianapolis and and the same the other way with Indianapolis to him is that he wants a new contract. So teams have to give away draft capital, an elite, you know, ready uh, starter or two, and then find a way and hope that they have enough money and, and, and that they have enough money and cap space to pay and give Jonathan Taylor a new contract. So that's, that's, that's a very, very hairy situation because they got to trade to get Jonathan Taylor and they got to fork up the money and make sure that they have enough money in order to keep him. Because they're going to give away a decent part, a decent amount of draft capital, and if not plus, some, uh, a starter or two to get to get JT. So the saga between them and Indianapolis is very, very, very interesting uh, in terms of how that goes. I think, and for both teams to know what they want, I think the best case scenario is that the, is that Indianapolis would have to cut them. Have to cut them, and then so so no team has to trade in order trade their you know their future way in order to get them, and because at least it appears as of now that I don't think the Colts have came across anybody that's been able to uh, to meet their trade demands. So and 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 you know Taylor's been in and out of training camp voluntarily and involuntarily related to injury, not related to injury. So. Uh, very very hairy situation as we are within two weeks of uh of the colts uh, week one uh affair uh richardson you know did the fly eagles fly uh in philadelphia in the preseason game last night you know, a little odd and interesting to do that as an unproven rookie uh in a preseason game against the defending uh, uh nfc champs but it's each their own i won't uh, make too big of a deal about that Chris Jones in a holdout with Kansas City. That is very interesting. He said that he'd be willing to hold out until week eight in order for him to get the in order for him to get the contract uh, that he won. And uh, I also read a quote saying Mahomes said that on the behalf of the team that the team would uh, would welcome him uh, back. You know, whenever he's ready with open, you know, with uh, with uh, open arms. Uh, be they be willing to welcome welcome him back with open arms, uh, and, but you know he's a guy, and they didn't. And listen, let me tell you something right now, Bengals fan talking. 
and Mahomes did not play his best game, as we all know, and it wasn't the Chiefs' best night the office offensively. But I tell you something, I tell you something right now. The Chiefs single-handedly, you can obviously Mahomes and how great he is and the toughest that's the obvious. But what doesn't but what isn't sexy and what isn't, you know, the headline catching thing to say necessarily talk about that is Mahomes subject about Kansas City with that championship game is that they don't win it if Chris Jones ain't on the field. Chris Jones defense from the first quarter on getting when he was on Burrow's ass like white on rice. They don't win that game if Chris Jones ain't on that field. Wreaking havoc wreaking havoc getting after Burrow left and right. It, straight up it does not happen without him. And especially when the Bengals completed that impossible third and long when they were backed up in their own territory. If Jones ain't on that field, fair to say the Bengals repeat as AFC champion? I don't know. I don't know. All I'm saying is, if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, you're screaming at your GM to find a way to get Chris Jones paid. Because, and yes, you can always find always find pieces on the offensive side of the ball that Mahomes will make out to be Hall of Famous. All, you can always find them. Mahomes don't play defense, though. And Chiefs saw it many a times at Infinitum. They tried out uh, from the likes of Daniel Sorengen at safety, D Ford, their defensive lineman, and Mahomes is electric through that in 18 year. Mahomes can be great. But if the defense is lackluster and can't give the Chiefs offense a minute, a drive, or two, or three to breathe, they're not getting after the quarterback, they're not forcing turnovers, no matter how great Mahomes played, plays. And, 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 and how many touchdowns he throws and how many – if the def, if the Kansas City's defense is suspect and can't get off the field and, can't, and, and, and lets offenses pick them apart left and right, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. C, the 2018 Kansas City Chiefs, number one seed. Mahomes had that record-breaking, jaw-dropping season when he first busted onto the scene as his first year as a starting quarterback. Won the MVP, whole nine yards. Reason why Kansas City didn't go to Super Bowl that year, their defense was absolutely, and it's, and it's not like that Steve Spack, no, we all, you know, we all uh, killed the defensive coordinator Sutton. Don't get it twisted also. It ain't like uh, Spagnolo is uh, Buddy Ryan with the '85 Bears or Marvin Lewis with the 2000 Ravens defense, or 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 Belichick in terms of being an elite defensive mastermind. Let's let's not. I understand he's won himself. He's won three Super Bowls as as a defensive coordinator. I I get that. I get that. But let's uh, let let's come on. He's won the three defensive coordinators. He's won three Super Bowls as a defensive coordinator. But two, let's be frank, he's got Patrick Mahomes on his team. And in the Super Bowl, his defense did did give up, what, 35 points in a game? Final score is, what, 38-35? Yeah, 35 points in a game. 35 points. I mean, outside of Jalen Hurts gifting his defense a free seven points, Hurts picked his defense apart. Apart. The Super Bowl. So let's not get a twist. Steve Spagnuolo, he's no. Andy Reid 
is Andy Reid and the genius that he is off, off inside of football. Spagnolo, let's not let's not even entertain such foolishness. So Chiefs gonna need a decent defense to uh, to help Mahomes out and help the Chiefs out to get them back to Super Bowl. They're gonna they're gonna need it. They're going to need. If not, then you might as well expect a repeat. And Chris Jones is the vital part of that defense. And if he's not there, and Kansas City's pass rush is from hunger, and they're average, and they're giving up on average, you know, twenty-seven to thirty points a game because of quarter because quarterbacks, you know, Wilson, Herbert, Burrow have all day and a half. Rodgers have all day and a half to pick apart the Chiefs' defense, and they're scoring touchdown drives with ease. A, it, A, it gives the margin of error for the Chiefs' offense and makes it slimmer and slimmer and slimmer when you have the bad defense. It's a slim margin of error. And second, you just don't be upset if your defense costs you an AFC Championship game or if you're fortunate enough to get the Super Bowl you know, your defense gets blown out in another one again. I lost Super Bowl 55-31-9. You need the defense. Defense wins championships. Even 30 in a 38-35 game, the defense scored you a touch, stole a possession and scored a touchdown, and they got you to the Super Bowl. The defense won you the AFC Championship, and they stole a possession and got a defensive score in the Super Bowl. Don't marginalize and un- and devalue and undervalue Chris Jones. And the Bears have already started calling, seeing if Kansas City is interested in a, in a potential trade. But Chris Jones, unique talent, unique and a very good, very talented uh, defensive lineman. I understand, you know, is he's not Mahomes, but just because his name's not Patrick Mahomes, don't take what he does for that defense and for that team for granted, or else you'll be looking at a repeat of 2018 all over again, where your team makes it that far because of Mahomes and the and the great offense, and when your defense steps on the field, you know. Hit your knees and say a prayer because you because you, you as a football fan see you know defenses of teams that go ten and seven play better. Not saying that'll be the case for Kansas City. I'm just speaking hypothetically. And the rate and the Commanders, if you care, ended that asinine uh, winning streak of the Ravens on Monday night in what was an intriguing and very entertaining for what is worth Monday night football game earlier this week. Sam Howell looked like a player. Uh, I think Washington's going to be in good hands with him, the rookie quarterback out of North Carolina. It'd be interesting to see uh, where uh, how well he plays and how well the uh, – because the offense for Washington also looked really good. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, you see that he's doing wonders for that offense. It looks fresh. It looks vibrant. It, you know, you're going to expect some things from uh, – from Washington that you haven't from that off from the Washington Commanders offense that you have not seen before a lot of things that you would probably see that's in some form or fashion is going to be very eerily similar to what you saw in Kansas City uh, with Mahomes but I tell you something 
hell of a hire with Bienemy. Uh, I was very impressed with uh, how how he played on Monday night. His movement in the pocket, his ability to keep plays alive, uh, lead his receivers downfield with his on point uh, throws. Likewise, saw out of the Commanders, uh, and I will be there Saturday night for a week for the final preseason game of the season for final preseason game of the month and of the season. And then it's uh, rolling on to uh, rolling on to week one. On to week one. I certainly, as we flip the counter to September, come next Friday, have a uh, have a lot in store. The week of uh, the week of week leading up to week one, lots of uh, guests on us on us on uh, tap and scheduled for you. Uh, to preview the NFL season, uh, I got lots of uh, I got lots of different. I won't call them connections, but uh, I know a lot of people uh, who know how to talk a little bit of football. That you know, content creators, members of the media, and of course, friends of the program as well that are fans of different teams. Where I want their opinions and their feelings heading into this upcoming 2023 NFL season. So stay tuned for that coming up, leading up to Week One as it will be another jam-packed and exciting and and, uh, and promising NFL season one that I promise I'll be with you from week 1 to the uh from week 1 uh to the uh Super Bowl and uh should be a interesting program so uh, you guys stay in the loop for that quick item of business uh Kenley J- I by the way I got it wrong in an episode last week I said Kenley Jansen is on the is on the uh Braves he's on the Red Sox and I actually had to come out of the game with a leg injury a couple of nights ago so I got that wrong Kenley Jansen the Boston Red Sox not Atlanta Brave and the Yankees have missed the playoffs four times not five it might it, not that correction may not may go without saying cuz it's going to be five anyway cuz the Yankees aren't making the playoffs uh, this year, so it will be five. But as of right now, not counting this season, the Yankees have made have missed the playoffs four times in my lifetime, not five. If you don't include the upcoming fifth, which is coming here in 2023. Uh, but that is it, and that is all in another episode of the Amitel Like a is podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and are new to the program, please do not, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the two videos, the two part, uh, or the two videos I did uh, killing John Angels from an episode I did back in uh, early August, about a couple of weeks ago on uh, August, the show I did on August the 10th. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram if I have not, and I did say that already. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatelit underscore is. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast. Follow me on threads, by the way, at the J Shield. Uh, yeah, that's it. Check out those rants on my social media sites, and I will talk to you guys next week. Have a safe and good weekend, everybody. Y'all take care.